Welcome to Dear Live, a podcast that seeks to inspire global voices of change, teach you how to live with intention, and expand on the eight dimensions of wellness. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider. Every week, I'm going to drive conversations from self-development to generational social change, even to financial wellness. I am here to share my stories and reflections alongside therapists, psychologists, coaches, and wellness experts to help you create a healthier you today so we build a healthier world tomorrow. Open up to possibility for yourself, society, and the world. And think of me as the best friend you didn't know you needed with the comfy couch and the brainy stats. Let's get started. Before we get into our guest for today, I wanted to share, I have this money metrics course and you need it. So everyone knows I'm all about financial wellness. And one of the things that I get the most um, questions about is basically how to like shift from debt and poor spending habits to get into that abundant, beautiful, I am <laughs> I am a financial beast type of mindset. So I created this mini course on debt, how to get out of it, how to use credit constructively, and to grow your net worth. Yes, you should be tracking your net worth from your 20s. Not only do we talk about spending, saving, and everything in between, but I created the downloads you need in order to get your money right. So sign up through the link in the show notes. Code is LivePod, my little gift to you. In 2018, Victoria Washington filed for bankruptcy and her lawyer told her it would take her years to recover. Yet within 18 months, using wealth embodiment flow, she redesigned her relationship with money and grew her business to multiple six figures. She goes beyond traditional money mindset work and accounts for ancestral healing and cellular memory to support businesswomen. She is a business mentor, creative director, speaker, and the CEO of the House of We. Whether it's brokering a six-figure real estate deal, negotiating an increase in salary, signing a paid client for the first time, or simply opening the stack of bills you've been avoiding, Victoria's communities are alive with women celebrating their financial milestones. Her teachings weave together somatic movement, business strategy, and channeled spiritual wisdom to support women, and in particular, women of color, to step into new levels of financial empowerment. Please join me in welcoming Victoria to the podcast. Hi, welcome back to Dear Live. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider, and today I have with me Victoria Washington. Thank you for joining me. So happy to be here. I've loved binging all of your content, and I was telling you right before we got started, I feel like you've figured out the secret sauce to building a community around something that you're passionate about. A lot of times we have these incredible moments where our lives shift or change, and it's hard for us to figure out how to brand it, how to tell the story, how to to get people. And it just seems like it just comes out of you um, from what I'm seeing. And maybe that's practice and maybe that's a little bit of providence. But I figured I'd ask you the questions and you can kind of tell us a little bit about how you got here. I understand you have taught women how to find um, their way back to their money story and and their relationship with money, but yours is incredible. Your story is incredible. So can you tell me a little bit about why this happened and what the road was to this space where you're helping other people? Definitely. I started in corporate America, like many women do, and I didn't necessarily have a relationship with money. I think we assume that once you start having a corporate job or your career begins, then your relationship with money begins. But I didn't really have a relationship with money. I had a relationship with a paycheck. I had a relationship with cash, but not necessarily money. And then deeper than that, I didn't really have a wealth identity, which I teach a lot about in my membership, The House of We. 
And so I went through most of my career completely disassociated from money and Mm -hmm. feeling like I was only liberated when money was coming in. And that created a set of behaviors, beliefs, thoughts, a lifestyle that matched that. And I lived that for a long time. And then about, what was it, about 2016, I shifted out of my corporate career and started managing yoga studios. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time now, I'm in charge of a budget and other things that have to do with a business, but it wasn't my business, technically. I had an entrepreneurial spirit that I was infusing into that role. And I was there for a couple of years until I really felt a call to start my own thing. And yoga was really the platform that allowed me to find my voice and to speak and bring a room of people together for one message, which is what you probably see me do in my business today and my brand. And I always felt that I could take that and make it bigger. So I started my own business and I was doing spiritual mentorship. And that's when my relationship with money began because I started to see that there's so much that goes into not only running a business, but also intimately handling the different interactions and exchanges that go through that business. So I had a big wake up call of, wow, this is more than just a paycheck. If this is more than just something being deposited into my account automatically, I'm now selling and promoting and marketing myself. And so, so many different shadows and attachment styles came through with that. And I gratefully ended up filing bankruptcy, but at the time it felt like one of the most shameful moments of my life. And I made this decision with the intention of creating a masterpiece from it. And Mm -hmm. I told myself that throughout every single step. And while it was so scary and came with so many different unknowns and different projections and societal norms, I just felt deep in my bones that there's no way as a woman of color, I was going to be a statistic. Mm -hmm. And the statistic says that one in five women of color file bankruptcy. And then most of them never recover. And then that's it. That's the end of the story. And I felt in my body that there was a bigger reason why this was happening. And there was a bigger reason why I was being asked to make such a big call. And so when I filed bankruptcy, I was about a year into my business and it felt like a reset of sorts. And I remember sitting on the park bench right outside the courthouse and feeling this interesting sensation of deep shame, Mm -hmm. but also deep liberation. And how could I have both of these and how, how am I, where am I going to go from here? And, and bigger than that, how did I get here? It was like, before I was even 30 years old, I'm sitting on a park bench outside of a San Diego courthouse. I didn't even have a car. My boyfriend dropped me off at the time. I didn't really have a place to live. I was in between apartments and the sequence of events that happened after that just show you that there's something so much bigger playing out in our lives. And I ended up fast forward, starting my business from scratch again. We had our first six figure year that year, a year later, multiple six figures, six months later, and then now multiple seven figures. And we're on the track for just something that I never even dreamed I would dream of. And it's now become part of my financial masterpiece. And there's a whole practice and membership I created specifically for the woman who desires to take that sacred walk with money, because it's one that is ancient and Mm -hmm. wise and so full of adventure. And and now we're here today. That's that's where it all began. I love it. I saw you recently posted on Instagram that you had like a six-figure month. And I'm like, 
a lot of people are like, I finally had my six-figure year. And you're like, I have had my six-figure month. And I think that that's amazing. And it kind of matches what that six-figure year looked like when you were first kind of recovering. Out of pure curiosity, did had you already started the financial um, business before the bankruptcy? Is that what caused you to decide that that was a good step? Or was it the the spiritual practice you had to file bankruptcy and then you decided to move over to the money side? No, I didn't have. So at the time before bankruptcy, I was doing spiritual mentorship and that was something I was really good at. I was guiding a lot of women out of career transitions. I was helping Mm -hmm. a lot of women come back home to their body, but I was not teaching on money at all or business at all. It was just, it was just that. And I had also ended a really long relationship. I was actually engaged and I sold all my things in Chicago and moved across the country. And I, I I knew that was going to put me in a financially compromised situation. And the hope was I would start my business and everything would be okay. And Mm -hmm. that was my happy ending. Uh, But no, I ended up in bankruptcy and really learning some big, hard financial lessons. Mm -hmm. And then when I had my first six figure year, I still wasn't teaching business. I was doing sole purpose work. I loved working with women in their career and helping them find out what they're really good at, what they, what, what environment they would thrive in. I worked with a lot of women on their intuition. I did ceremonies at a lot of live events. So I was doing still the spiritual work and was studying in that way. And then on right at the end of, it must've been 2018. No, that was, or 2019. I had a, a little new moon ceremony. I was raising money for a fundraiser that I was really passionate about human sex trafficking. And I was, I raised money through this workshop that I was hosting mm-hmm. and I got the call to have it be themed around money. I think it was something with the moon. And at that point, I was considering opening up like an accelerator for yoga teachers and spiritual entrepreneurs who wanted to start a business because I had done that through spiritual work. And this workshop was kind of my first, I'm talking about this this way Mm -hmm. and really talking about money, like not just hiding behind, yeah, I'll teach you how to do a business or I'll do this, but really wealth. and. I started to tell the story of bankruptcy on that workshop and the whole time I'm like, stop, stop. Like, no, <laughs> nobody knows idea. about this. Stop <laughs> this right now. And in my head, I'm like, oh, but I'm here. We're talking about it. Oh <laughs> God. Go. I still remember that room. And I was like, and cause I told, I was never going to tell that story. I, sure. nobody was going to know ever that that happened. It's your origin and story. Then it changed everything. The whole, everybody who watched that call, they were like, what did you, cause I started teaching about the lessons and the money. And after that call, I sat, I remember the, the sun and went down and I forgot to turn the lights on in my apartment. I'm sure you've taught a class. You're like, why didn't I prepare for that ahead of time? And I remember sitting in my little hot, no AC apartment. And I was just like, there's no going back. Mm-hmm. And then I had a reading with a psychic and I'm trying to remember her name. Cause she's quite famous now. It's, I have, I'll have to remember her name, but it was January after that. And I got chosen to ask a question. I was like, yes, I get to ask this question. I go, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Why did I tell that? What is happening? And she said, you're supposed to start to tell the full story. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to talk about your story more. And she saw me on stages and all this stuff that I had. I was like, no, no, I don't know about that. And then it, it took on a life of its own. I channeled Wealth Embodiment Flow. House of We came to me everything started to come together after that. I think it's so fascinating because I feel like a lot of women, we have a lot of shame around money. I, I lived in money, right? But I was managing other people's money. And 
I've always had a relatively healthy relationship with money, but never expected to teach about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what's really fascinating is I think that th- we have these stories that maybe have been passed down. We know that we've been advertised to, that we're the spenders, we're not smart with money. Um, there's our familial stories and our background money stories. And I feel like there are more women who are coming into the fold and saying, we actually need to talk about money because it is energy. And I like how you talk, and we're going to get more into it, like inheritance. And there's an ancestral aspect to your relationship with money and the way your family lineage viewed money. But money is also opportunity, and it is also energy, and it is also power. Yeah. And when we divorce ourselves from what we can accomplish by having access to it and handling it wisely, um, that's a huge mistake. I think that we've made and maybe culturally have been conditioned to believe that we don't have permission to to touch those coffers, right? Like money is for men to invest and to dream and what have you. And we're almost like I'm seeing a lot of women saying, I feel like I'm supposed to help the next level of female founders and entrepreneurs. I'm supposed to help them find the funding. I'm supposed to help them figure out how to manage their money. I'm supposed to because collectively there is more work to be done. Um, by women in these spaces and with these voices. And I love that, like, we always kind of doubt ourselves. Like, you get, like, the call or you get, like, the smack on the head and you're just like, no, but maybe, right? Like, but I'm not sure. And I need 15 people to clarify whether, like, I keep being told you hide behind your company. Like, you keep putting your company first and you need to stand out in front of your company. And I'm like, that's really hard for me, right? I Like, I want it to be the brand. And, you know, it's, it's the personality that drives it. But I'm curious from your perspective, like when you first started, when you had that moment and you told the story and you started sharing the lessons, um, what do you think resonated the most with people? Was it the prescriptive, like, here's what I did and here's how you need to see it? Was it the idea that they needed to heal some kind of past relationships with money? Like, what do you think really struck people when you kind of got into it? The way I teach money is through the the lens of relationships and the lens of God. Mm-hmm. So I think that I brought a new approach to money and a new way to look at yourself because relationships and God is a mirror. And I really believe that money is our greatest mirror. Mm-hmm. And when I filed bankruptcy, what I was mirroring, what I was mirrored back to myself was I didn't value myself. I didn't value my relationships. And as I went through that process of emptying completely, I really got to see where I'd abandoned myself and fallen into the pattern of damsel and distressed and fallen into these different archetypes that seemingly got my needs met, but was really the rejected aspects of myself begging to be seen. Mm-hmm. So when I bring up money, it becomes more of a sacred medicine ceremony than a, let's look at your finances. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that we don't talk about that in house of we in phase three, when we get to financial intelligence, we absolutely do. But having somebody whose body is wearing scarcity and their tissues and the nervous system is in a deep contractual state, look at a spreadsheet is pointless. It doesn't Mm -hmm. do anything. And so we start with phase one, which is financially healing and going to the roots of your money lineage and seeing where you're playing out your grandmother's story or your grandfather's story. And we're seeing where our ancestors passed us the torch, not to pass down just all of the scarcity, but the resilience to transcend it in our lifetime. 
Mm-hmm. I just got goosebumps. So yeah, I had goosebumps already once before. <laughs> I'm like, and okay. now they're like, oh wow, I'm adequate. I can do this. I was chosen for this. This isn't this scar that I wear. And we open up such a bigger conversation. And then we go into phase two, which is financial empowerment, getting connected to your desires. Then let's look at a spreadsheet. Let's look at the stock market. Let's look at investing. Let's look at circulation. Mm -hmm. And then we move up the ladder of of wealth that I I created. And it it just includes the whole person. And it, it allows for people of all walks of life to feel like they matter and to really find their value so that they can create. And what we say is we're changing the face of wealth as the world knows it. Every single time we reclaim a part of our money lineage, we're changing the face of wealth as the world has known it up until this point. There's so many stats. So when I was in the world of of investment management, I kind of was a subject matter expert on gender lens and socially responsible investing. And the stats having to do with women and wealth are astounding. And not only how we have access to so much capital that we don't buy into, but the pay disparity, um, why we don't take loans, why we don't invest in ourselves, um, how we are 80% more likely to be impoverished in retirement. But then you get into kind of looking at if you invest in a woman, she's more likely to make that dollar stretch longer and support her community. And how if you have women on boards and there are so many things that say women need to be at the table and they need to have capital in their hands. Mm -hmm. The stats are even worse when it comes to intersectionality and women of color. Mm -hmm. And the disparity is so much larger. And I know that one of your focus is to work with women of color around their financial acumen and understanding the lineage of their story. What have you found in working with this community in in empowering people, and especially people who have like women gender across the board have been marginalized and you know mistreated when it comes to stories of of wealth and access and power, but even more so, do you find that there is like any what's the most powerful thing that you've witnessed in these conversations, these transformations? Oh gosh, so many that it brings me to tears. I have a whole file, but one recently on Monday, I do a Q&A inside my membership on the last Monday of the month and we collect questions in advance and I go through and answer. We do coaching and it's such a fun way to integrate all the learnings. And we had about 10 minutes left over. Usually I'll just end the call, but I was like, is, is there anybody who wants to ask a question live because we have this extra time? And one woman, she was off of video, put a question in the box and she said, I'm, how do you feel safe with more and more wealth? I'm at this really big financial milestone and I'm watching myself avoid. And one of the archetypes we teach in there is the avoider where it's almost like being in a relationship with somebody who says they want to be with you, but they never text you back. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. you're not saying and acting the same way. We do that with money. So she's watching herself avoid, 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 not talking about this milestone, not feeling it, not pausing to celebrate it, hiding. And she asked, how do I feel more comfortable? And I just started to channel for her and was just listening for my own guidance for her. And I was describing the difference between making money and feeling prosperous and how our deeper work really lives in understanding the distinction between the two. And then I said, well, what's the financial milestone? For I'm curious at this point, we're in a mm-hmm. safe space. What is it? 
$1.5 million portfolio, just hit $1.5 wow. million. Dollars. Then she comes on video, first generation Filipino. Mm-hmm. And I just, I could cry right now because I could see her resilience and just the, the weight of, can I have this? It's like, can I actually have this? Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pass you the mic. And I just want you to talk about this moment mm-hmm. because the more that you can talk about it, the more that you're being with it. Yeah. And she was so in the story of how do I make this okay for them? I don't want them to change because money doesn't change people, but it does change the people around you. It yes. changes how they look at you. And as a woman of color, that's our deepest fears that we'll be looked at as the oppressor that we have abandoned our people. Now, if we become rich and wealthy mm-hmm. and I let her process that and and just speak on it. How was it? How does it feel? And she talked about how she's a first generation. She grew up in a family where like eight people living in one house and she can't believe that she did this. And we just took a second to celebrate, not necessarily the manifestation or the magic of it, or even the fact that there was money there, but the discipline and the vision that it takes for someone to choose to use their circumstance as an opportunity. And I guided her to understand that she may never share that number with them. And I actually recommend that she not, but what she can share is her presence and the relaxed nervous system of a woman who has Mm. decided to lead her life. And that is getting passed down into every future generation. There's now a reference point in the money lineage of a relaxed, powerful, wealthy woman who doesn't even need to say the number, but just leads with her heart. And well, I have never cried during a podcast. No, and you're like, you're giving me tears. I'm like wiping tears on so my eyes. Powerful. I have goosebumps all over my body. It was so powerful. And I got off that call and I go, this is why I do this work. Yeah. This is it right here. I, I, th- and, and it's so gorgeous that you could give her tools to start to even have that self-awareness of what does it mean for me to stand in that and relax that nervous system and realize that we are creating a completely new storyline, a completely new way of being throughout the course of history for our family, right? Right. And I've worked with several um, clients in the past, uh, women of color who immigrants struggled and, and scared to death to spend money yeah. Um very not hoarding, but almost um I didn't know if there was a worth story there. That we there was always kind of a, a struggle when you're trying to plan with someone from and I wasn't coming at them from the perspective you are, I'm coming at them from like this is what we need to do to get you in the market. Yeah, this is what we need to do to protect it. We got to create, you know, a trust and we need some insurance and we need this and we need that. And and it was always fascinating how much of wealth and the conversations around money become psychological. Yeah. And our our advisors, we would all talk about it. We're like, we are, we really have to go in and be therapists so many times when we just want to kind of, you know, okay, we got it. Here's the spreadsheet and here's the thing. And then you're like, oh, back it up. This is going to affect dynamics within the family. This is going to affect the way people view them. This is going to affect their own story about who they are in life. And I don't think that we think about that. I think that I also believe that we have this kind of mindset that can be a little bit 
from a, a spiritual perspective, God wants you to be abundant, and then we see pictures of, like cars and stuff, but abundance could look like freedom. It could look like making the next job choice on your own and not because you have some type of like financial tie or fear. And I, I, I feel for people who struggle with that because they're like, okay, well, I don't need a fancy car. And, you know, I, I think that that's an unclear or poor message, but I'm like, yeah, but don't stay in a relationship because you're not able to be financially free. Don't, you know, don't miss up on job opportunities or take a chance on yourself as an entrepreneur because the stories that you've been told around money. Yeah. I mean, true financial liberation, I say, is not, it's not liberation with money. It's liberation Mm -hmm. from money. Mm. And it's not being financially backed. Well, I guess that feels good, but it's having your time back. That's true. Liberation is time freedom and presence and having your life back. That's what I saw in that woman is she has her life. Mm. The, The money is just simply a byproduct and her family may never even know what that amount is, but what they'll know is I have more time with her. I have more. I don't know why I can feel her more. I can be more present and nothing compares to that currency. Yeah. So I think that I, I really honor you opening up this conversation because one of my dreams is to work with, with financial advisors and with people who are in these conversations, because there's language and different shifts that we can make to have it be easier. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I'm the first person in my family that's made multiple million in revenue and is I'm building out a trust for the first time and doing S corps and figuring out tax shelters. And I can feel it now I'm in that now of, hold on, everybody's living very fast. <laughs> Where is it all going? Right. I just was so, I was so used to just seeing it there. And I thought, this is cool. I've never seen that amount in my bank account. And right. for the last year, it's like, I got used to that. But then when I think like my wealth identity, mm-hmm. I don't want to actually see a bunch of cash there. I want right. to see that account a little bit more empty and feel like I have assets in the world. It's a completely different wealth identity. So Mm. this is why I teach cash is an object. Money is our relationship with that object. And then wealth is an identity. So by the time we're talking about trust and, you know, protecting our assets and things like that, you know, you can have the cash, you can have the relationship with money, but if you don't identify as a wealthy person, Mm -hmm. you're not going to think like one and you're not going to make the choices like one. Mm -hmm. So the conversation there is, how can we begin to shift the way you're identifying with yourself? Cause a part of you is still identifying as I was never supposed to be here. Yeah. And that, that's takes some time to like get, to get around. Tell me a little bit about like the identities and the archetypes. I think that that's really fascinating because I've heard of people talk about like money types before, but not not to this level of, I want to say almost like spirituality and having like a nod to your lineage. Like (laughs) we talk about like you were raised by parents who came from people who were in the great depression. And like, it's a very novel conversation, but not at this level of depth. So I'm curious, like when you're looking at archetypes and identities, like how are you seeing them and how are you teaching them? So again, I teach through the realm of relationships and so there's three different types that we, we teach. So when you get in the membership, there's a quiz that you take And I can give you guys the link if you want to have your listeners take it. There's some resources they can get after they find out their type. Um, But they take the quiz and then you're either going to get the spender, the hoarder, or the avoider. Mm -hmm. And those are each connected to a wealth archetype, a wealth identity. 
And I believe depending on your lived experiences, your, your circumstances, your past, your lineage, all these different things, that's going to dictate what phase you're in and how you view each phase. So the spender, for example, we'll use that one because that's the most common because that's been what's marketed to us is spend Mm -hmm. money, spend cash. The spender is actually when they're embodied in wealth and they do the work, they are actually the, the sacred circulator, the holy circulator. They're here to circulate money in a more liberated way. They're not attached to always having cash sitting there. They're actually here to build and circulate money through the economy in really clean, integrous ways. Whereas the hoarder, when they're fully embodied and they've gone and done the work, they're the holy stabilizers. They're here to create new ways to stabilize wealth, new currencies, new new ways to build wealth. But when they're not in that, they are keeping it and holding it and frozen in whatever narrative has them feeling like this is more safe to Mm -hmm. grip to this versus stabilize it and, and circulate it out. So each of these has a different walk with money, a different journey, different things that you'll need to move through. But the way that I like to look at it is, have you read the book Attached before, the relationship mm-hmm. book? Mm-hmm. So there's these attachments. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really good. There's these attachment styles. And I got to thinking, and as I was really developing this work, I realized that each of these types has an attachment style. So for example, the hoarder has an anxious attachment style where you never want to feel like money is leaving. Mm -hmm. And I was just having this conversation with my sister where she doesn't have any of her, at the time, she didn't have any of her bills like on auto pay. I go, what are you doing? You need to get that on auto pay. (laughs) Mm Because that's going to save you like 50 years of your life. And she's like, I just... I don't know. I need to know when the money's leaving. I feel, I hate that the money's leaving. And I said, well, where is it going? And she's like, I don't know. It just feels like it's leaving. And I go, well, if the phone, if the money for the phone bill is leaving, then the phone would leave too. Mm-hmm. If the money for the car note was leaving, then the car would leave too. So you, are, the money is never leaving. It's just showing up in the form of a phone or the form of a, a thing. You're feeling like cash is leaving. So where are you attached, anxiously attached to cash? And where can you be more sovereign in your relationship with money so that you can see this through your wealth identity, which is you are circulating and building your own economy. And there's assets that you now have, and there's amazingness around you that you get to experience on this material realm. And she was like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) She's like, wait, what did you just say? And she's like, that felt so good. I was like, yeah, go put it on auto pay and enjoy your phone. And it's as simple as that, is like looking at where we show up in relationship. And this is why money is such a mirror, because we likely do the same thing with our partners. We likely mm-hmm. do the same thing with our friendships or food potentially or anything. So those are the three main types. We go into so much more depth. I'm happy to answer more questions, but that's kind of the, the overarching methodology of how we navigate it. I would definitely love for you to share your link with us. We'll put it in the show notes because I think people would be interested in seeing what their what their type is. And it's a different, I think a different way of looking at it because we have therapists that are on that that talk about attachment style, right? And so like Dr. Sarah Shevitz, she's a relationship therapist and she talks about anxious attachment, avoidant attachment. So it's interesting to kind of make the correlation to your money style as well and, and think of it as archetypes. And I think... As human beings, we like to almost kind of understand ourselves 
in ways oh. that we can kind of like contextualize and put on a shelf and be like, I am this. Like my boyfriend's love language is acts of service. So like when he's being a grouch, but he's doing the laundry, I'm like, oh, he loves me. You know, like it's it's <laughs> what it is. Yes. And you learn these things. Like you you are able to kind of wrap your head around it. Um, but I love the idea of seeing yourself. And I think so visualization, of course, is such a gorgeous tool and helps so many people in – and reimagining what their lives could look like. So saying like, I'm the spender, but the way I move money around is through different investments and charitable opportunities. I'm like, I like that, right? Because I'm not irresponsible with my money, but I'm also not afraid for it to leave my accounts. And I hate having cash set. I want my cash to be doing something for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of spreading it around in various ways to make sure that there's always – I love this, an economy around me, right? Like I always like, I have a passive income stream over here and I've got money in a business over here and I've got, you know, my emergency savings here. And so you're kind of creating your own central banking system to some extent. Exactly. I like it. It really is incredible. And it has people let go of the shame and the guilt that we've been told to feel around spending or hoarding or avoiding. Yeah. And it gives everybody a chance to be the hero of their financial masterpiece. And it gives them a chance to see that, these attachment styles were not created by us in this lifetime. After I filed bankruptcy, I found out that my mother filed bankruptcy at the same age as me. Mm-hmm. And so, and I had never made that connection. Yeah. So a lot of times we're just doing what our lineage has known to do. And by mm-hmm. creating just a little bit of a bridge to actually, this is a, this is a power of mine. We create more liberation. I love that. I I noticed on your your socials and then, you know, in some notes that I had taken, um, I I believe in the power of affirmation um, and manifestation in the sense that I believe that there's neuro-linguistic qualities to it, right? Like if you're taking a thought, you're replacing it with a new thought. But I noticed that you talk about it's more embodying wealth as opposed to manifesting wealth or using wealth affirmations. So talk to me a little bit about in your perspective and for your work, what embodying wealth looks like in comparison with someone who's doing like a money affirmation. My affirmations are more like maintenance, but they don't create breakthroughs. So they'll create a financial aha moment. They'll create a money high that we can ride for a specific targeted amount of time. But what we really want to do when we're embodying our wealth identity is create a financial breakthrough and a breakthrough changes our behavior. It changes our lineage and it changes the trajectory of our legacy. Mm -hmm. So that is going to require a little bit more depth. So we either need to match that affirmation with a somatic experience like movement or breath work or the wealth embodiment flow combines a lot of these methodologies, or we have to use that as a secondary tool. So I'll use affirmations still, but they're more so maintenance for the embodiment work that I just broke through. Mm -hmm. So I've broken through this financial belief or this financial setback. And now I'm going to affirm the committed action that needs to be done for me to continue pursuing the next step. So when I say I am a wealthy woman, on some level, yeah, I believe that. But there's also all kinds of chatter around that. So I don't want to just affirm what I am at the end. I want to affirm who I'm going to become in the process. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of people get stuck. Like I'm affirming what I desire, but are you affirming the action it's going to take to pursue that desire? Because yeah. that is the difference between a moneymaker and a wealth builder. 
Yeah. No, I agree. I actually had this conversation with someone on our team with the app. And, you know, we I, – I, I'm always sitting right at the space between science and spirituality. Like I'm a person of very deep faith and I also am a person who loves to talk to neuroscientists and nerd out over geeky stuff, right? I love so, that. yeah, it's – I'm always in this kind of in-between. And so we have a lot of really incredible people that come through various walks of life. And one of our people on the team was like, I really struggle when someone's like – give it to God, give it to the universe. And I was like, oh, girl, but faith without works is dead. <laughs> like you have to – like yeah. there has to be some momentum or some movement towards the goal. And, you know, you don't want to bypass by saying, oh, I'm affirming this in the morning and then I'm leaving and I'm like draining my bank accounts and my shopping spree, but God's going to get me or the universe is going to catch up. You right. know, <laughs> you have to actually have inspired action, right, towards these things that you're wanting to embody. And yeah. I always say, like, I move so many things forward in my life, whether they're goals or they're opportunities or businesses, because I touch them each day and move them forward a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be this enormous thing where you're, like, cutting up credit cards and, you know, having these you just have to move things forward a little bit every day so that your habits can change as your mindset shifts. And yeah. I think that that's the, the way to get it done. Yeah. And that action is inspired by a behavioral change. So when we look at human behavior, we have to change our habits with money and our, our relationship with money. And so I can, I remember one of my mentors, I was finishing a big, big class. It was one of the bigger ones of my career. And I felt almost nothing after I was like, my whole nervous system was like, what did we just do? <laughs> and she said to me, I'll never forget these words. She said to me, you believed for big, but you didn't prepare for it. Mm. So I believed for it. All the mm -hmm. people came, but I never prepared for it yeah. because I didn't somatically break through who would I need to become to actually hold that on the other side, because desire alone, as Price Pritchett says, doesn't create. That's why we're such magnificent beings. The creator created us to create and to move things forward and to hopefully do that alongside God and have that be our, our greatest leader in our life. But it's it was such an interesting moment of really seeing where we spend a lot of time believing and getting ready to believe and getting ready to believe and getting ready to believe. Yeah. When we forget that. And I hear that when I first heard this, I was really triggered, but I'm going to give some context to this, that what we desire is already ours. Mm. There's always in the human experience, the, the spiritual battle or the spiritual warfare, the spiritual path is going to always be understanding the illusion that your mind is in. And understanding how to take that circumstance that is gripping your thought and knowing how to walk and live a life that's beyond that. And so I had to see in that moment that what I desired was already mine in the first place, but my value hadn't caught up to that yet. So I mm -hmm. was so focused on believing, but I never prepared my life to become it. Mm. I just believed it for that moment. I'm going to be thinking about that for like a couple of days. <laughs> like that's, really? I'm that's like, some deeper work, yeah. especially with money. Like mm -hmm. we're preparing and believing and believing that we're wealthy. But then the money comes. Wait, that was easier than I thought. Or whoa, I did it. Okay. Nothing is prepared to hold this. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm back. Okay. You know, now we go into a pattern. So why I love embodiment work is, and why I love it, wealth embodiment flow is it somatically 
it gives you a chance to really change your behavior so that Mm -hmm. you're not just believing, but you're also preparing your life for liberation. I love that. This has been, it's been such an incredible conversation. I'm going to take a couple of these things with me um, that I'll probably be thinking on for a while. I think there's so, I'm so fascinated by our brains and our bodies and spirituality and our, like it all kind of comes together, right? In this beautiful, where we have far more control than we realize. But like you said, there is that illusion of, um, of expectation of what we've been told of whatever it may be that we just kind of have to die to in a lot of ways and, and reset. I've loved having you um, today and I hope that we get to have you again in the future because this has been a fascinating conversation. I know that people are going to love your quiz and, or the, 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 um, the wealth identities. Wealth architect quiz. So we'll give you the archetype. We can take it. Yeah. Okay. I love it. And if someone wants to find you, follow you, she has a fantastic Instagram page, by the way, where should they go? Instagram is where we update everything. So if you're interested in the money work, it's at the house of we on Instagram. We post there all the time. We offer different things. The house of we.com is where you can get on the wait list for the membership. And then personally, my personal brand is on at I am Victoria Washington for Instagram. I love it. Well, I'm so thankful that you joined me today and this has been super enlightening. So thank you for being with me. And listeners, um, don't forget also to follow Dear Live at dearlive.app on Instagram and download the app on the Apple App Store. Thank you so much. This was awesome. (laughs) Oh, good. Thank you for having me.